thank you, Father, for being the great I am, for being greater than anything we face in life, any circumstance in which we find ourselves, any uh, disease or any sickness, that you are greater than even life itself. And how thankful we are that we can anchor our faith in a God as great, as strong, and as mighty as you. Father, you've given us your word. You have written it for our purposes to hear today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, speak directly to our hearts to reveal to us the generous heart of our generous God and giving Savior. And may today we be drawn closer to him. It's in your good name that we pray. Amen. Amen. I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, and in just a few minutes we'll begin to look at a paragraph in that uh, chapter, a paragraph or two actually, in that chapter from Matthew chapter 6, is I want to share a message with you this morning on this idea of moving toward generosity. Of course, we are in the middle of an initiative, an emphasis that we're calling Project Reach. I remind you that our first obligation and in everything that we do as a church that belongs to Jesus is to reach up and glorify God, to fulfill the pro proclamation of the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians to him, to Jesus, to God, be glory in the church. That means that every ministry, every program, every activity, every connection, group, every function, every building, every pew, everything that is connected to First Baptist Church Milton should be used to reach up and to glorify God. And that is not limited to just one or two things, but it certainly involves several things. That involves us reaching out as we seek to serve God and ask God to expand His kingdom, as we seek to share the gospel with our community as we serve our community. It also involves us reaching in as we seek to edify the church of which we are members and minister one to another. At this point in our history, we are, are praying and asking God to lead and to guide us as we seek to implement certain aspects of Project Reach as far as a new facility is concerned that will consolidate our children's ministry, birth through fifth grade, and, and we're asking God to work through us in that, through our generosity, and I refer you to that booklet for you to, to pick up and read and, and see all the information that's contained therein. As we move towards September 19th, Commitment Sunday, as we move toward that, we've been thinking about this idea of how we are to be generous in how we use all of our life, including our giving, to God, how we're to be, uh, we're to move to Ward that in because at the very heart of us, we are not, we want to think we're generous people, but at the very heart of us, we are about ourselves. That's why Jesus tells us to be sure that we love our neighbor as yourself, because he knows that 
we are me-centered, and, and that is our nature by the fact that we're fallen people, and, and God has to move us to generosity, and, and some people are maybe further down that path than others, but all of us, we've not yet arrived, we've not fulfilled that purpose, because once we fulfill God's purpose in our generation, we, like David and everyone else, will sleep with our fathers, and, and we'll die with our ancestors of faith, and we'll be in the presence of God, just as it says about King David in the book of Acts, but we're not there yet. Those of us in this room, you may have the appearance that you're getting there right now by taking a nap, but we're not there yet. We still have something. God is still moving us in that way. And I want to, to remind you that, that God does not need us to be generous for His benefit. Generosity is not something that God wants from you. It is something that God wants for you. Jesus repeatedly spoke of our relationship in generosity, in, in relationship to our finances, in relationship to our money, in relationship to our possessions. In fact, if you study the preaching topics of Jesus, if I were to follow his example, every third sermon would be on that subject. Jesus spoke more about our relationship to our stuff than he did on heaven and hell combined or on faith and doubt combined. Jesus didn't talk about that because he needed it. I mean, Jesus is a man, after all, who took five loaves of bread and a couple of fish, and he turned it into an all-you-can-eat buffet. That's why we know he's Baptist, amen? amen? There was on one occasion that Jesus needed to pay a tax bill, and he told Peter to go catch a fish because he would find the money for that bill in the fish. I've tried it. That must be a one-time deal. Because I have yet, and I just sent my uh, quarterly estimate, and I promise you I didn't find a fish one that had any of it in it. Jesus did not need any of that. He still does not need any of that. He spoke so often of it because he knew that what we do with our money, what we do with our possessions, is one of the best indicators about where our hearts are. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus records one of the core teachings that he offered about this very subject. And I think when we look at what he said, we analyze what he said, he mentions a couple of things that will move us down that path of generosity. Not just for Project Reach, although it certainly includes that, but for a, a pattern of all of our lives to be a disciple who follows Jesus in every way. So this morning I want to mention to you just three things that, that jump out to us from what Jesus said that will move us toward generosity. Number one is this, we move toward generosity when we have an eternal perspective. Okay, God will move us down that path as we have an eternal perspective. Will you look with me in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Listen, friend, life is short, but eternity is long. Compared to eternity, this life is like the blink of an eye. It's like the vapor that your breath makes on a cold morning. With that being true, why then would we invest all of the resources we have here? Why then would we not seek to live for the kingdom that is to come instead of this world? You came into this world with nothing. You're going to leave this world with nothing. You cannot take anything with you, but you can store up treasures in heaven right now. That's, that's, that's what Jesus is getting at. Jesus is telling us to invest in eternal purposes, things that can help us make an eternal impact. And no, this sanctuary is not going to be in heaven, but there are things that we do in this sanctuary that help us lay up treasures in heaven. Think about this, when you invest in a gospel conversation with someone, when you tell someone what Jesus has done for you that is laying up treasure in heaven, that is doing something that has eternal worth and value, when you devote time to disciple someone, to help them follow Jesus as you seek to follow Jesus, that is laying up treasure in heaven, when you pray for a missionary or you go on a missionary trip. Those are things that although they're done on this earth, they have eternal significance. It's laying up treasure in heaven. When you give to your church and you do ministry and mission, that is laying up treasure in heaven. Let me ask you, where is your treasure? There's an easy way to figure out where your treasure is. According to verse 21, where you put most of your treasure will show you where your heart heart is. If the majority of your treasure is here on this earth, then that's where your heart will be as well. This is why Paul tells us, for example, in Colossians 3 and verse 2, to set our minds on things above. That yes, God wants us to enjoy, and we'll see here this morning how God is an abundant God for us on this earth, but there is more to us than what we'll experience on this earth. What you do with your time, what you do with your possessions, what you do with your money, what you do with those earthly treasures, that reveals who you most love. It reveals who you most trust, and it, it reveals for which kingdom you most long. See, our giving, our generosity should reveal that we belong to a whole different kingdom than that which is present in this world. Our generosity, our love, our generosity to others, it should make a statement that we believe in eternity and that we're living for a kingdom of a giving God and a generous Savior, 
when we have an eternal perspective, it moves us down that path of generosity. But I think a second thing that Jesus teaches us about moving down this path of generosity is that we move toward generosity when we embrace our role as stewards. Look at what he says in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. What is Jesus saying? Think about it from this perspective. You get up at night and you turn the light on. If your eye works, your hands can find what you're looking for and you can see where your feet are going and you should not run into furniture. I didn't say you would not. (laughs) I said you should not have one of those moments that causes you to speak in tongues that we cannot utter in church. Yep, don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about, because you do. Now, if the eye's working, you should be able to navigate that fairly decently. If the eye isn't working, your feet can't know where to go. Your, Your hands won't know what to pick up. Even though you turn the lights on, even though there's light all around you, if the eye is not working, your whole body, in a sense, is in darkness. Jesus makes this statement. Don't miss this. In the context of our possessions, in the context of our our generosity, in the context of our relationship with our pocketbooks and with our bank accounts. And what he is telling us is that if your perspective of money is distorted, if your perspective of possessions are distorted, it skews your perspective of every other aspect of your life. When your relationship with your stuff is given priority over your relationship with your Savior, unwise decisions always follow. See, some people, and maybe someone in this room, and if so, I promise no one has sent me an email this week about it. I promise you. But some people have chosen a job or a career not because they love the field of work, not because it blesses their family or helps people, but they go that path because they think it can make some money. And and you can do that for a little while, but after a while, you find yourself empty and you find yourself longing for more. Look, I was involved on... uh, in. I was involved in a situation from the outside perspective in which someone got caught up with some uh, dishonest practices and 
And when someone cheats on their, their taxes or when someone embezzles from their company, it's usually not because they are exceptionally dishonest people. It usually happens because they felt like they so needed money that when they were faced with a choice of being without money or compromising their integrity to get it, they chose to compromise their integrity. They didn't set out to do it. It happened over a process of time because when your relationship with all your stuff takes priority with your relationship with your Savior, bad decisions follow. This is why Jesus told us when he spoke about this in Luke's gospel, Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, be on your guard against greed or covetousness. Greed just as you say than covetousness. He said, be on your guard against greed. He, he doesn't say that about other sins. Jesus doesn't say, be on your guard about stealing. Jesus never said, be on your guard about lying. Jesus doesn't say anywhere in Scripture, be on your guard against adultery. The reason is that lying, stealing, and adultery, it's kind of easy to know when you cross that line. If you wake up in the morning and the person in your bed isn't your spouse, you know you've crossed the line. I mean, it's easy to see when you cross the line. Greed's not that way. Greed is very sneaky. Greed is very subtle. Greed is it's a player. Greed will come in and it will make you think that you're doing something that you can try to justify. And I know from, from personal experience that if I'm not on my guard against greed, I become a greedy person. Greed has a tendency to hide itself. So we have to use every spiritual faculty within us to be on guard against it. Our spiritual eyes must be open. You see, this comes down to the issue of stewardship. Look at what he says again in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God, and Jesus specifically uses money. You can put anything else in that blank if you don't think that's your problem. If you don't think that's your problem, put pride in there. You cannot serve God and anything else. That word serve is a, uh, a churchy word. It's a, it's a religious word. It means that you are devoted to something to the point that you worship it. It means that you depend upon whatever that is for your provision and for your security. You see, every single person is faced with a choice when it comes to embracing our role as stewards. There are some people who consume their money by being reckless spenders. Now, there's nothing wrong with spending money. There's nothing wrong with enjoying what God has given you. Notice I said 
They consume. They're about being reckless spenders. There are some people who depend upon their possessions. They depend upon their bank account for their happiness. And so they spend it thinking that that will bring them happiness, which then means they can't be stewards. They can't be generous because to do so, they think, would bring them unhappiness. There are people who consume their money by being reckless spenders. Conversely, there are those who conserve their money by being stingy savers. Nothing wrong with saving. Nothing wrong with having an emergency fund. Nothing wrong with having some stuff in an account to get you out when you get in a tight bind. Nothing wrong with that. But there are people who become stingy savers. They think that the great value of their stuff is to provide them security for tomorrow. So if I don't have the stuff, I don't have security. So I'm going to keep all the stuff that I can. And they make storing it away for a rainy day a priority over and instead of being generous. But then there are those who consecrate their money by being faithful stewards. See, this is a person who who looks to God as the primary source of happiness, who looks to God for fulfillment, who looks to God for satisfaction in life, and God is their security. Faithful stewards hold their money loosely, and all of it is surrendered to God because they don't see their stuff as the key to their happiness and their security, but good stewards, faithful stewards, look to God for those things, and consequently, Because God is in charge and because God is their security and because God is their happiness, they are then free from the burden of their bank account and they're free to be generous. It all comes down to how you view your role as a consumer, a conserver, or someone who's going to consecrate what God's given them, make it holy by being a faithful Steward. We have to embrace our role as stewards. And here's the third thing that Jesus teaches us that moves us toward generosity. We move toward that generosity when we trust our generous God. Jesus, and the reason I mentioned those categories about those who consume their possessions by being reckless spenders and those who conserve it by being stingy savers is because Jesus is going to use two analogies to address those two groups, those who consume recklessly and those who conserve stingily. Look at what he says in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow is thrown to the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? How many of us have asked that every day, all day? Only it's not so much necessity as it is pleasure and convenience. That's another sermon that I'll let someone else that doesn't like it preach. What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Notice that to those who conserve their money by being stingy savers, for those who see money as their security, they see their possessions as giving them security for the future, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. You don't ever see a bird flying behind your house, and you never see a bird stressed out while he's doing that about having X amount for a rainy day or or having enough to, to leave their baby birds in the event that they meet the engine of a plane or a Randy Johnson fastball. Yet God supplies all that they need. You have to go home on YouTube, Randy Johnson, fastball bird. It'll change your life. (laughs) And then he says to those who who consume their money by being uh, reckless spenders, he just says, consider the lilies of the field. Those lilies don't stress out about not having enough to to have the the latest fashion or the nicest car or the, the biggest yard in which they can grow. Yet God has beautifully and abundantly blessed them. And the conclusion he comes to in verse 33 is that when you put God first, you will find out that he abundantly supplies all that you need. Look, we can trust God with our finances. We can trust God with our possessions because our God is a God of abundance and he has infused abundance into his creation. God has created such a world of abundance that birds have more than enough and lilies are beautiful. That's the kind of God that we serve. He is a generous God. Therefore, trust him. Put him first and make generosity a characteristic of your life and a part of your witness as you show others how you trust God and how God has been good to you. Look at what he says in verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This verse, for a long time, it bothered me, and it kind of ticked me off sometimes. Because Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow has a lot of problems. That's exactly why I'm worried about tomorrow. I'm worried about tomorrow because it's got problems. And Jesus, you just told me, don't worry about tomorrow. Why? Because it's got all the problems waiting for you. And for a while, that that bothered me until uh, the the Spirit kind of worked and chiseled away some some things in my life to understand this way. Yes, tomorrow has a lot of problems, but tomorrow also has the God of abundance. And you can trust that He will abundantly supply your needs tomorrow. And because God will meet your needs tomorrow, you can put Him first today day and let him worry about your tomorrow. 
because I have not changed one situation in my life by me fretting over it and worrying about it. You see, both the reckless spender and the stingy saver serve money. They just do it in different ways. The steward serves God and uses his money to accomplish God's purpose because that steward is free to put the kingdom of God first. Let me tell you something. We are all reckless spenders. We're all stingy savers at heart. Following Jesus involves asking and allowing God to shape us into faithful, generous stewards who put Jesus first in every area of our life, in our parenting, in our being a spouse, in our being uh, an employee, in our possessions, in our finances, everything that we put him first. Let me ask you this morning the very simple question. Are you trusting in this God of obedience? Are you trusting God in every area of your life? You see, I'm teaching a, a Sunday school or a connection group on Sunday mornings. I think it's the best one we got myself. Uh, but there are some, some young adults that I'm in there with, and we're, we're, we're looking at Jonah and his life. And and one of the things we talked about Jonah a couple of weeks ago was that Jonah was faithful in almost every area except one. He wouldn't go where God told him to go. And even though he, he probably went to all the committee meetings at the First Baptist Church of Joppa or wherever he was, even though he, he did all these things, the, the one thing he didn't do, that's what caused him to disobey. That's what caused him to face the consequence of an unsurrendered life. So I'm not asking if, if you've given most of the areas of your life to Jesus. I'm asking, is Jesus the first in every area of your life? And if there's an area in which he's not the first, for you, it may, it may not be finances. It may be something else that he's not the most important. You need to make him the most important today. Because it's when we seek first God's kingdom that everything else tends to work itself out. That doesn't mean there's never a trip to the hospital. That doesn't mean there's never a casket you stand beside. That doesn't mean there's never a time when you have abundance and only abundance. But when you put Jesus first, life just seems to go better. It just seems to work not again, not that you miss every valley, but when you walk in that valley, when Jesus is first, you know he's walking right beside you. When he's not first, you have to turn around to see where he is. But when he's the priority, he's always with us. And he causes all things to work for our good. The only reason that you will ever be able to be generous. The only reason I will ever be able to be any kind of generous person is because our God was and is generous. He gave His only Son so that whosoever, and that's all I am, is a whosoever, that whosoever could be saved. 
more important than your relationship with your stuff is your relationship with Jesus. Do you have that relationship today? Do you have a relationship with this most generous God? If so, are you mirroring his generosity to others? Would you bow your head right where you are? In just a second, I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. This is going to be a time of commitment. It might be that God's placed upon your heart today to know that the most important needs you have is to have a right relationship with him. If you've got questions about what it means to follow Jesus or if you have decided to follow Jesus, we'd love to celebrate that decision with you. Maybe God has placed a specific burden upon your heart this morning. Maybe you realize there's an area in which your faith is not wholly placed in God in this area of your life. Would you this morning, whether you come to this altar and do it or whether you sit or stand in your pew and do it, would you simply surrender that area to God? All that I will ever ask, I will never pressure you to do anything in this time of commitment. The only thing I will only ever ask you is to put your yes on the table to whatever God has placed before you. Whatever's on that table, I don't know what it is, but God's put something there in front of you Will you simply put your yes on that table. Father God, how we're thankful that you so love the world that you gave. And Father, I pray if there's someone in this room today that doesn't have a relationship with this most generous offer of salvation, that today they would confess their sin and simply cry out and receive you as Lord and Savior. Lord, would you show us an area of our life? Maybe there are some in this room and that that area kind of comes to mind pretty quickly. Maybe for others, we have to think on it for a minute. Would you just use your spirit right now at this moment, this very second, to place and impress upon our hearts an area in which we've not made you the priority? And this morning, would, would you help us surrender that area to you? If there is faith that is needed, I pray that faith would increase. If there's trust that needs to be placed in you, I pray that trust would be placed today in this moment. Whatever you're calling us to do, may we be faithful to say yes. In Jesus' good name, amen. Let's pray.